You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it. With tales from all over the nation, come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Hello, Murph. Well, hello, AP. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was fantastic. I actually had two Thanksgivings. I had one down in Rogers, Arkansas with uh, my boyfriend Cliff's family. And then I had one in Coralville with my uh, my family. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, I love Arkansas as far as like, I'm guessing that you weren't able to go cycling, but they have like everything you can think of in that area as far as dirt trails, paved trails, single track. They have everything. Yeah, uh, it rained the whole time we were down there. So I just, I looked at the trails as we drove by and a little tear rolled down my face. So I just, I know exactly what I'm going to do next time I'm down there. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Awesome. So then in Coralville, I did, um, we always do a turkey trot. I think I talked about that on the podcast last week. Um, And it went really well. But then my big thing for Thanksgiving this year is that I made two turkeys for our family's dinner and a ham. Two turkeys? Yeah. So I would say I was... I went whole hog, but it was actually only half a ham. <laughs> so I went, I went whole turkey. <laughs> well, and two turkeys. So, I mean, that's like, that's yeah. high risk. That's right. There were a lot of people at Thanksgiving, so you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And I even, I brined them out in the garage and like made them in the roaster and it was, they turned out pretty good. I thought maybe a little too juicy. Oh. So yeah. Okay. So in so, your face. Do you now have, do you now bakers. have the... Do you now have the responsibility of making turkey going forward? I think I might. I, I think I might have done too good. But it was really fun and it was really cool to make something for the whole family and yeah. uh, participate in that way. So this is, it's not my first turkey, but it's my first Thanksgiving turkey for sure. And certainly the first time I've ever made two at once. Oh, nice. So well, I've That was a whole, I had to ma- do a lot of math and like science. <laughs> so was, I know it's kind of weird. I have successfully, I, I won't reveal my age, but I have successfully made it my whole life with having to never make, bake, broil, or what do you call it, deep fry a turkey. <laughs> and I am like, yeah. and if I've made it this far, I think I'm just going to, you know, kind of slide under the radar and just yeah. keep going. Maybe just give it a pass. Well, if you ever need a turkey, I'll just come over and help you out. So <laughs> yeah, I got you there. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah. So it was great. We also had a big th- euchre tournament, which I just wanted to bring up because I say it every year. We had a euchre tournament and I did not win, Ooh. but I won the loser's bracket. So I guess that's a small consolation. Okay. But okay. Uh, shout out to my cousin Ribcracker, who is my partner um, in the euchre tournament this year. So I know she would like to to be have the shout out on the podcast. She did really good. It was her first Actually, she learned how to play euchre for the tournament. So, oh wow! Shout out to Ribcracker. And Ribcracker was on our podcast uh, during Ragbri and yeah. was extremely popular. So, hello, Ribcracker. Yeah. All right. So, enough about us. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, mine was good as well. Uh, we did the turkey trot, you know, bright early in the morning, and mm. then I think I talked about it on the last podcast. We went to um, the local brewery in my hood. And Mm. they do a Cousin Eddie beer release, (laughs) you know, and Cousin Eddie's from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And so everyone goes there wearing a robe and the funky hat. And there were people with like long (laughs) hoses, you know, that would go in an RV to empty the (laughs) toilet. And so it was, it's, I mean, 
I, I think it's been probably since Ragbri that I've like had a beer at nine o'clock in the morning, but <laughs> um, I limited it to just one. It was so fun. And then yeah. um, met up with the family and go someplace where they make everything and it's delicious. Yeah. You yeah. don't have to wash dishes. All you have to do is go home and turn on football and take a nap. Yeah. Well, that's an awesome way to celebrate Thanksgiving too. So yeah. Um, happy Thanksgiving to you belatedly. Yes. Um, so, okay. So now literally everyone has turned a page to Christmas and speaking of Christmas, mm-hmm. we had our first significant snow in Iowa. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. I woke up and it was kind of like, I don't know, it felt, I felt like I was like 10 and it was Christmas morning. I'm like, Oh my God, oh. it snowed, it snowed, it snowed. So yeah. immediately bundle up, jump on my fat bike, and I cruised around Cedar Rapids um, and made it to, we have a a single track area called Sack and Fox, where Mm. it's really like, they groom it in the winter for um, fat tire bikes. And it had not been groomed yet because it was fresh snow, but it was so much fun. Although I did fail at one thing. Do you want to know? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I... In my haste to get out there really quick, at that on that day, I think it was like in the 30s. So on the streets, it was all slushy and wet. I had forgot to put my fenders on my fat bike. So ah. by the time I got <laughs> to the single track, my entire the back of my jacket, my the back of like my booty area was all <laughs> wet from the water splashing up. So, yeah, I got really, really cold, but... You got the full skunk stripe. Yeah. Well, it was more than that. Yeah. And it was like (laughs) wet, wet. So that was a very bad move on my part, but I still made it. It was fun. I got some good photographs and videos for the Instagram. So it was fun. Got to do it for the gram. That's right. Yeah. Anytime you can get out on the bike in late November, take it as a win, wet or not. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up setting up my trainer at my house, so I got I'm ready for my indoor miles. Ooh yeah, um, getting ready for inside because I am a fair weather biker. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I set up my trainer as well because um, each winter I do what's called base camp, and they do Zwift rides every Tuesday and Thursday. So earlier this mm. week we had our first group ride, which um, I'm sure listeners out there know what Zwift is, but it's like a virtual game. And Mm. it hooks up to your bike so you can um, do the same workout as everybody else, but somehow it adapts to your abilities. So Mm. what I think is strenuous may not be strenuous for somebody else, but somehow the game can make everybody be on the same bike ride, but doing different workouts. So it's really fun. And they Mm. have coaches who tell you what to do. Like I learned this may be a tip for people or they may just make fun of me, but I learned (laughs) they call it fluffy socks. And so when you're trying to build up your cadence, which is how fast your um, feet spin around on the bike, they say, you know, instead of like mashing, like trying to pedal as hard as you can, pretend like you have fluffy socks on and that you don't want to smash the fluffiness. And so it just changes the way that you pedal. Um, And it's kind of, yeah, you'll have to practice it. It's, It's fun to practice indoors. And then when you're outside, like on some sort of bike ride and you realize like, oh my God, why am I pedaling? Like, why am I mashing these pedals? <laughs> You're just like, I need to pretend like I have fluffy socks on. So I, I'm certainly a fluffy sock masher. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, hopefully you can be mindful of it and uh, uh, maybe, I don't know, change your way a little bit and make you a better rider. Yeah. Well, okay. So indoor or out, we have a challenge coming up. Yes. Oh my gosh. So many people have signed up for the 200 mile challenge. Um, you yeah. can go to the Morphology Podcast Facebook page and see it there, register there. Um, but we're getting pretty excited. And I think yeah. this podcast will go live just before December 1st. And that's when we mm-hmm. launch. So the the premise is 200 miles on your own between December 1st and January 31st. I can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can. Yeah. You did no, it last I'm year. Gonna, that's right. And I'm going to go above and beyond this year. But it's just such a great way to stay in shape over the winter. So thank yeah. you for hosting that again. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We'll definitely be giving regular updates as we get into the challenge. And I definitely recommend that you look it up and consider joining because there's all sorts of, you get cool little swag items with registration yeah. and yeah. it's just fun to be a part of the group. Yes. So, And yeah. before we get into this week's pod, I have to give a shout out to Dixon Novi. He mm. is a friend of the podcast. He um, is part of the Quad City bicycle charter group and he made me uh, a morphology display that is so freaking cool Mm. it's um basically it's a pumpkin like a plastic pumpkin that he um i don't know what the right word is engraved etched carved kind of carved kind of carved the morphology logo and like a podcast microphone and it lights up so I know it's so cool. It's um kind of Halloween and Thanksgiving themed, but I may yeah. leave it up in my podcast studio year round because it is yeah. so cool. So thank you so much, Dixon. Dixon's the best. I mean, you gotta live it. You gotta leave it up because yeah. it looks so neat. I know um, it's so cool. Always love biking with Dixon. He comes with us on the pre ride, and I was thinking about him the whole time I was in Arkansas because it's his alma mater. Yeah, so, are they called yeah. the Razorbacks? They sure are. Yep. And he'll have the tattoo to remind you of that if you need to know. (laughs) So, um, all right. Little business before we get into the um, interview intro. Ragbri registration is open. It's been for a couple weeks. So if you're interested in that, you can find out about it at ragbri.com. Yep. But today, as of this recording and into the future, as you listen to this episode, whenever you may, uh, the tour of the Battenkill registration is open. And the tour of the Battenkill is a additional ride that we produce as a part of venture cycling. It's really cool. Um, it started off as sort of a hybrid road gravel race in upstate New York, and it's one day only. And you can pick, there's three different, um, it's a fondo. So you can do piccolo fondo, medio fondo, or the grand fondo, which is the longest. Mm. And it's sort of like ordering a Starbucks drink. You can do the middle, (laughs) whatever, but you got to call it the right word. Okay. Right. It's piccolo. (laughs) So, um, anyway, it's a really cool race. It's a really gorgeous atmosphere. They're, one of the features of their countryside is A, the hills, but B, the really neat covered bridges. Oh, so yeah. kind of like what we have out in Winterset, but in New York. And anyway, just if you might be interested in that kind of thing, go ahead and look it up at, um, it's just Google tour of the Bat and Kill and it'll come right up. Nice. Or you can find me on Facebook. Um, I just put up all the information up there too so sweet anyway i wanted to give them a shout out because it's a cool race and we don't really talk about it that much but Mm -hmm. it's a really fun one that we do in early spring so let's get down to business who do we have on the podcast today okay today we have dr kella price who i believe that you met this past ragbri ragbri 50 right 
Yeah, I did. She came up to our podcast booth at one of the expos and she was pulling a massive box behind her bike then and all week. Yes. Okay, so it's called a shelter box. And Dr. Price is on today to tell us more about her experiences with Shelterbox. So it's so neat. I mean, beyond the fact that she's pulling this giant contraption behind her bike, it's in Shelterbox is an international disaster relief charity, and it provides emergency shelter and other aid items to families all around the world, wherever she can bike to, mm. who have lost their homes to disaster or conflict. So each Shelterbox, like what she's pulling behind her bike, will contain tools, materials, and it's a shelter. Awesome. Yeah. So like you said, she rode her bike on Ragbri with the actual shelter box behind her bike. And she did it to raise awareness. But mm. it's funny. She's going to tell us um, she had her kids with her, too. And each day they would set up the actual tent, you know, the actual shelter that comes in the shelter box. Mm. And uh, it's a heavy duty tent. It's meant more for like a temporary home rather yeah. than a one night of ragbri. So it's pretty funny because it's like it would take them like 45 minutes to put this tent up each night oh. because it's real heavy duty and it's canvas and it's meant, you know, it's not meant for, you know, let's go to ragbri for one day and then take it apart and then put it back up the next night. So it was pretty <laughs> wow. funny, but um, she she was able to attract a lot of attention because of it. And yeah. I, I think it's a really cool cause. Um, shelterboxusa.org is the website. But yeah. um, let's hear what Dr. Keller Price has to say. I would like to introduce Dr. Keller Price to the show today. Hello. Hi, Murph. I'm so excited to talk to you about Ragbri and Shelterbox. Yes, we are very excited that uh, we could connect and get you on the podcast. And uh, like you said, talk about Ragbri and Shelterbox, which I think as we get into the interview, people who are listening may be like, now, wait a minute, I think I saw her on Ragbri. <laughs> so you're a, a celebrity before you know you're a celebrity, right? Yes, I was kind of hard to mix miss with that big green box behind me the whole ride. <laughs> well, I want to get into uh, more on that and on Shelterbox. But before we do, will you tell the listeners where you live and uh, what the cycling culture is like or if there's a cycling culture? I currently live in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. Uh, I've lived all over the country. However, my husband was military, so we moved about every three years. So I've had a variety of different um, experiences in uh, cycling communities. Here there are areas that there are um, designated cycling paths for, paths for uh, families and cyclists and outdoor enthusiasts mm -hmm. to get their exercise in. I live outside of the Metroplex proper, so most of my cycling is often done alone, either on um, the berm of the, uh, the, the farm-to-market roads outside the highways or on windy roads that <laughs> uh, I wish I had a cycling buddy to ride with, oh, sure. but I have this great... 20 mile loop by my house that I absolutely love because I get to see the farmlands and 
animals as I, as I ride by. But when I lived in Arizona, I was part of a huge cycling community uh, where we had multiple rides during the week, starting at early, early. <laughs> we called it the Zero Dark 30 group <laughs> because in Yuma, it gets very hot very quickly, especially in the summer. So we would start cycling in the dark before oh, wow. the heat of the morning. <laughs> um, and it was a great experience. Here in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro, I'm a part of Team RWB, oh, sure. um, which is a veterans organization, and we do a lot of athletic events where I lead cycling groups um, for beginners all the way up to people who uh, do triathlons like myself. And that's how I actually got started with my first RAGBRAI ah. is introdu the introduction with Team RWB had a team. Uh, two years ago that uh, I participated in a rag bri for the first time with them. And we've had a couple of interviews of people from Team RWB. So I got to give a quick shout out to Todd Cohen. I Hopefully he's listening and uh, cheering you on from uh, wherever he is in Missouri. Yes, yes. He's one of my cycling buddies. Oh, so. cool. Okay, good, good. Well, uh, you you started to talk about you know your first rag bri. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Like how did that connection happen? Yeah, so it was promoted on the team RWB page, and as someone who loves cycling and loves nature and loves a fitness challenge, I was interested in participating with a team RWB group, and I signed up really without doing a lot of research other than other than knowing that I was going to be cycling all week across Iowa and camping, which I've camped and done races before mm -hmm. from uh, vacation races uh, to uh, the Ragnar relays. So I, I thought I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> but I, um it was there was a lot of surprising things in the course of the week. Um, moving my tent every day was a little bit of a challenge, and um, I have several autoimmune diseases, so I have some uh, limited <laughs> uh, dietary restrictions. So that that I knew going in was going to be a little bit challenging. Um, but I was on a quest the first year to find gluten-free pie oh, yeah. <laughs> and other things that I could eat that were not going to irritate uh, my body during the week. Um, but it was a great, fun way to see another part of America that I probably wouldn't have chosen to see <laughs> on my own without a specific event for. Um, and I really enjoyed it and uh, created some great memories with Team RWB that first year. Good. And I will say, I don't think I did this year, but last year um, I, I wasn't looking for gluten-free pie, but I did end up having a slice of gluten-free pie, and it was delicious. It was like a, I can't remember what, it was strawberry rhubarb maybe, but I don't know if you ended up finding any, but I had a great experience with it. Yes, there was a number of vendors um, that had things that I could eat that I would look for. And there was some great Facebook pages that people were talking about um, 
different organizations that were offering uh, healthy things like salads and uh, fruit smoothies and breakfast bowls and things that are um, within my dietary plan. So, uh, you know, it it is a little bit more challenging when you don't get to go through the unlimited pancake line and things <laughs> like that. But um, it's definitely doable if you have dietary restrictions or um, if you're there was vegans and lots of different options um, for different dietary needs throughout the the week. Yeah, I definitely will say um, Ragbri has changed a lot over the years in that aspect. So it's much more accommodating for uh, all different diets than back mm -hmm. in the first year I did Ragbri. It was it was challenging. <laughs> yeah. So when you um, look at your first ragbri, did you say your first ragbri was just a couple years ago? Yes, it was two years ago. Okay. So you did ragbri in 2023 as well, correct? Mm -hmm. yes. And you did it, um, what I'm going to say is in a unique way. Do you want to tell the <laughs> listeners what you did differently than maybe your first year on ragbri? Yes. So I am a member of Rotary International. And one of our uh, project partners is Shelterbox. And Shelterbox is an organization that was founded in 2000 to provide emergency shelter and vital supplies to stabilize, protect, and su support communities affected by disasters, um, whether they're man-made disasters like war and conflict and humanitarian crises, but mm -hmm. also things like earthquakes hurricanes, tsunamis, and that sort of thing. So they provide aid with this. Our, we're known for these giant green <laughs> tote box, um, which is if you have seen like a rolling storage locker or foot locker, it's kind of like that, but it doesn't have wheels. <laughs> and inside it has a variety of different things. Most importantly, um, the long-term tent that people can live in, in a disaster situation. Mm. Some of them live in their tents for six months to a year or longer, but we also provide within the box things that they need to survive, basic needs like kitchen sets, solar lights, mosquito nets, water filtration, water carriers, blankets, it all, um, sleeping bags, it all depends what is needed in that particular area. They fill these boxes and deploy them in disaster situations. And Rotarians go to help teach people in the community how to set up the tents and facilitate these individuals trying to create a little bit of normalcy and provide the things that they need to survive in such devastating circumstances. So, so as a road sorry go ahead I was just gonna say so this this is a worldwide organization yes ah. they were founded in um, Great Britain but we do have a USA branch and these boxes are deployed all over the world mm. currently um, we have multiple countries who have these boxes that they're using in their communities including Sudan Malawi, Turkey, Syria, Pakistan, Ukraine, Syria, Mozambique, Lake Chad Basin, Burkina Faso, Yemen, Ethiopia, 
sadly, most of these are not because of natural disasters. Mm. It's mostly due to war and conflict, which aligns with Rotary's, one of their key areas of focus is promoting peace. And having those basic needs of a tent or a place to live, basic needs of shelter and clean water is really important to, to one's survival. Right. Um, so this is a big fo- focus area for um, Rotary and with our involvement. Shelter boxes provided shelter to over 1.5 million people wow. in a hundred countries across the globe. So it's really cool, the impact of the organization. So you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with <laughs> Ragbri? So I have been a ambassador promoting this organization, this partnership with Rotary for a couple of years usually going to community events, setting up the tent and educating people about someone actually lives in a tent just like this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and talking to them about um, the need for this organization. Well, when I heard it was going to be RAGBRAI's 50th anniversary, I was really excited because Shelterbox has an adventurer program in that they encourage people who want to create a fun adventure to raise money for shelter box. They'll help support that and promote it on their website and whatnot. And as a shelter box ambassador, I thought this is a great opportunity to educate people about shelter box and the need for programs like this, because there's going to be record number of cyclists and I'm going to get a lot of visibility if I have this shelter box. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the, this box weighs about a hundred pounds when it's full, it's pretty heavy. And so my husband helped me construct a, like a tow behind trailer for the specifically for the shelter box that would attach to my bike. And (laughs) I decided that I was going to cycle Ragbri with this shelter box. And I was a little bit nervous about um, doing it because it was fairly challenging the first year without any kind of um, toe behind box, but I was up for the challenge. And my teenage sons actually came with me And they helped with the support vehicle as well as riding alongside me. I thought it would be a great experience for them as well. And so I I towed this giant green box behind my bike. I was kind of hard to to miss. (laughs) I was the wide load that was going only like four or five miles up the steep hills, uh, four or five miles per hour because it was heavy. Um, but it created a lot of awareness and visibility because everyone wanted to know what was in the box. (laughs) So as I'm, I'm winded and I'm, I'm cycling up the Hills, I'm trying to, to give them my 10 second elevator speech (laughs) as they're, as they're flying by me and I'm, I'm plugging along uh, with my, my shelter box behind me, but it was a great experience. We had, um, identified some locations along the route every night. Um, I tried to get as close to the actual route itself. Sometimes I was able to find a spot 
actually on the route close to the end town. Oh, okay. And we set up the actual shelter box tent and set up the display of some of the equipment. And my kids and I slept in the shelter box tent every night. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm trying to, I didn't get to see you that I know of, I would have remembered, but so in my head, I'm, I'm picturing like, um, like a big Rubbermaid container, but heavy duty that you guys put wheels on and then somehow connected to your bike. Is that? Yes. So if you think about those little, um, tow behind carriers for small children, yeah. We use that frame as the base for our um, carrier. So my husband disassembled the little place for the children to sleep or ride behind. Mm -hmm. And we used wood and some metal to secure the shelter box to the cart. And I I towed it and it had straps to attach it on there and I towed it behind. Wow. And then, um, I mean, we all had to on Ragbrag, you know, every day it's a moving uh, festival, I guess you could almost say. So you have to take down your tent and put it back up every single day. But you said you were using actually the shelter box um, tent, right? Yes. And so that was a very different experience from the first year, because the first year I had one of those tents that you throw it and it basically opens up for you and you can put it away in like 30 seconds. The shelter box tent is a substantial tent because it's designed for someone to live in long term. Hmm. And so it, it took us about a good 40 minutes to an hour every morning to put it away and the same to set it up every day. It was like a three person job. Um, and my kids did get really tired of, <laughs> of setting up and taking down the tent every day. Um, but we made it through and we had quite a few people stop and visit the shelter box and it gave us an opportunity to show them some of the equipment that comes in the box, like the, the really cool solar lights and the mm-hmm. water filtration um, system and the water carriers and whatnot. So it was an opportunity to educate people about the organization and really what they're providing for free to these communities. And are there communities in the United States that have benefited from shelter boxes in some way or another? They did send some boxes they have in like hurricane situations. Oh, okay. Um, But generally we have other resources here in the United States. If you think about if you've ever lived in a hurricane area, which I have, they have um, shelters that you can go to mm-hmm. in the event of, of an emergency. And there's places that you can go. In these poor developing countries, there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they lose their house, or and in some cases, like if we think about um, the earthquakes in Turkey, whole towns collapsed. There was nowhere to go. Mm. And these individuals were left with rubble that they were going to try to collect supplies from to rebuild. And they, they didn't have insurance to rebuild. And so they have to save up money. And Mm -hmm. so they're, they're stuck in these tents 
And in many of many cases, we set up these essentially tent villages. There's some great videos on the Shelterbox website that you can watch um, about people and how this has impacted them that are just heart-wrenching because they'll say in the video, one of the videos that comes to mind, the lady says she, you could see her making coffee in like a uh, French press in her tent. And she says, now it feels like home because I have a place to make my coffee. Oh, wow. Wow. And so just the impact of literally having nothing and then being provided this tent as your home. And some, the, some people will live in these tents with six to 10 of their family members. Mm. Um, so it's for an extended period of time. So it's really is a important um, humanitarian effort. Right. Gosh, in the time that we've been talking there have been so many people every minute, 20 people around the world leave everything behind to escape war, persecution, and terror. Mm. So we've been talking for about 20 minutes. If you do the math, that's like 400 people. Wow. Wow. It, the, the impact is substantial. And sadly, there are so many countries that are, um, have political unrest and, and war and military conflict that is displacing individuals. And to think that, you know, something, and I'm not saying it's a simple process, but something as compact as a shelter box that can truly change somebody's um, quality of life, even if it's for short term, like you mentioned, the lady with the coffee. So um, that is impactful. Mm -hmm. And what is the website for shelter box? United States site is www.shelterboxusa.org. Okay. And I'm assuming that on that website, there's an easy way to donate if you would choose to, to help out the org. Yes. So a thou- it costs about $1,000 for the box mm. um, to send to a country with everything that they need. But it's really cool because you can look on the website to see like the tent is $500. If you wanted to donate cooking set, you could donate $250 Mm. solar light, $30, which is what that was one of my favorite things in the kit because it was very useful (laughs) at Ragbri. And interestingly, just as a little aside, for those of you who were at Ragbri that last night that we got that terrible storm and people had to leave their shelters I came back to my tent and I didn't really know what to expect, but these tents are extremely heavy duty. They've been tested to survive 60 to 70 mile per hour winds because again, they're in, they're in areas that are subject to natural disasters. My tent was not damaged at all. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw tents in, in, in trees, in trees yes. and tents that were mangled. My tent um, was not damaged. <laughs> well, hopefully you wrote a review for <laughs> whoever gave you that shelter box. <laughs> um, what kinds of things did like when cyclists would see you, like what's a common conversation that you had with people about shelter box? 
Everyone asked, what's in the box? Some people asked me if I was riding self-supported and I had to tell them, well, sort of, I have my tent in there and it's shelter box. Mm-hmm. Um, I had quite a few people ask me if there was a dead body in my, <laughs> in my, in my green box. And I joked, a dead body would probably be lighter <laughs> than, than what I actually have in here. Um, but again, it was a huge opportunity. The number of people that I was able to talk to about Shelterbox and had no idea about Shelterbox. And I was able to share a quick snippet of information, give them a card so that they could donate and support um, Shelterbox. So it was a great way to bring visibility to something that Rotary International is doing and, and Shelterbox and the importance of their mission. So I mentioned over the period of time that they've helped over 1.5 million people, mm-hmm. but the, the need for emergency shelter is just continuing. Right now, there's about 85 million people around the world that have been displaced by natural disaster and conflict more than any other time since World War II. So conceptually, like if you think about the whole world, the need is so significant and we're not seeing it going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. What can, in your opinion, what can like the cyclists that are listening right now um, that are maybe learning about Shelterbox for the first time, like what can cyclists do to make an impact? Is it just simply donating? Is it getting word out? What would your your opinion be? Certainly donations are always great because again, that helps uh, Rotary and Shelterbox make an impact um, to all these people who have a need. If it's something that they, it, it, pique their interest maybe they want to ride with shelter box next year and do the the shelter box challenge across uh ragbri and talk to people about shelter box they can reach out to their local rotary club if you go to rotary.org and see if there is a uh, rotary club in their area they can find out more about rotary and the different projects like shelter box that are out there to support peace and make a difference around the world, but also all of the uh, local projects that these clubs do. Mm-hmm. And how about with you? Like what's your um, future plans as far as cycling? And do you think you'll shelter box again next year? I don't know. Um, I still have as a shelter box ambassador, I actually have more than one of the shelter box tents in my garage mm. for um, different events. And I have been invited to participate in other cycling events with shelter box. I think it's a great way. It certainly challenges you physically right, right. <laughs> um, on the ride to do something like that. So if someone's looking for an added challenge, it would be a great way to do that, but um, I don't know. I I love um, cycling, and I do triathlons and things, and I'm always up for a new adventure, a new fitness challenge as a fitness coach. Um, so 
I'm going to leave that open. I'm always, I'm <laughs> always looking for yeah. new adventures. And I know that there are other states that also have um, similar type of cycling events. Um, so I don't know. I know the registration for um, RAGBRAI and the announcement of the course will be really soon. So yes, yes, that's always exciting. Well, hopefully there's somebody out there listening right now that's um, feeling the passion about the organization of Shelterbox and the experience that you had. And maybe we'll see one or two boxes out on the uh, route next year. Who knows? That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of um, websites to go to. Are there any other social media or websites that you want to share for people who maybe want more information? Well, they can. anyone who has questions about Shelterbox can feel free to reach out to me on social media, um, on Facebook and Instagram at Kella Price. Um, at Healthy Fitness Life Coach, my company is Healthy Fit, and I have—I actually have a workout program called Healthy Fit Cycle mm. that is great for the winter when you don't want to get out and cycle in the bad weather. Yes, <laughs> um, it, we can—you can use any kind of stationary cycle or trainer, um, and it doesn't require any kind of paid membership program. You can do a drop-in class with me at Healthy Fit Cycle. Cool. And I will put that in our show notes as well. So people can just click away and head over there to check it out. That would be great. Well, Kella, it has been a pleasure meeting you and talking to you about Shelterbox and also your RAGBRAI experience. And um, I know that 2023 RAGBRAI was, it got a little steamy. So I cannot imagine dragging a huge box full of stuff behind my bike when it was that hot. It was definitely challenging. And even as a nutritionist, um, so little disclosure, I would normally tell people to practice if they're going to be towing something like this, but I did not have my trailer done until the week I was leaving for oh, no. a rag ride. <laughs> so I did not get to practice at all with the box, um, which I would not recommend because well, maybe you don't know what you're in for, but I, w I was strong enough, but it, it's definitely not a good training practice to not practice how you're going to uh, compete or participate. Right. For so I'd multi -day. practicing. Yeah. Um, but even as a nutritionist, the, it took me about five days to get my nutrition dialed in. So I felt good at the end of the day. Mm. Um because it was so challenging and it was just some minor tweaks, you know, trying different things. And I had that fifth day, I had an extra coconut water. And instead of two pickles with my snack, I had four pickles. Uh -huh. And that was, that was all I needed. That little tweak of those couple extra things to make a difference in how my body felt. So it's really tricky when you're coming from out of state and you don't get to practice in the conditions that you're going to be um, actually riding in. But how many people ride for multiple hours throughout the day as part of their training, unless you're training for an Ironman, right. um, you're probably only going to cycle for an hour or two. So it's really hard to kind of see how your body's going to 
respond, but um, testing that out is really important and seeing kind of how, what your body needs in the temperature. So you feel good and you're safe and healthy throughout the ride. We never like to see that ambulance going down the road. Oh, for sure. Um, at any kind of race. So it's important to make sure you have a variety of things with you and the amount of hydration that I went through <laughs> every day was just unbelievable. Well, and the impact of the heat and stress on your body, you know, regardless of if you're dragging something behind your bike, um, you know, all of that combined with kind of a lack of sleep every night because you're sleeping in super humid, hot weather if you're camping. So it's hard to kind of pop back physically. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad that you did it. And I'm glad that um, you took the time to share your story with us. Yeah, it was a great experience. And even my kids at the end of the week, you know, we had our moments with teenagers. You always have moments, but we had our, our moments of struggle with putting up the tent and fatigue and heat. But at the end of the week, I said, boys, what do you think? <laughs> Would you do this again? What What's your impression? And my one son who did most of the cycling with me, um, because he's not a, a driver uh, yet, he said it's it was easier than I expected. Well, that's okay. good. Yeah, I know, right? He didn't ha he didn't have to cycle with the shelter box. He was just cycling <laughs> himself. Um, and my other son said that it was fun, but he didn't want to have to set up the tent every day. That was definitely like a sticking a point with a with a tent that had so many different steps to set up. <laughs> yeah, that's a long time after you've ridden all day to have to put your tent up. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, yes. Dr. Price, thank you so much for um, being on the podcast and telling your story. And we look forward to seeing where you go next with adventures and with Shelterbox. Thank you so much for having me, Murph. It was great chatting with you today. Well, listeners, that is it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com, or you can also follow us on social media at Just Go Bike on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if you're a fan. And if you have any extra time, pop on over to the Morphology Podcast for more bike adventure interviews. All right, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week. Until then, just go bike! bike.